0: Nerd alert! Property Nerds, the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends.
1: Hello everyone, this is Arjun here, your co-host of the Property Nerds podcast, and I'm joined by Kent. Hi Arjun. Kent, uh, I've got some pretty exciting news to go through today with regards to some some data on some of the markets that we're seeing and some interesting findings, but Before I do go into that, how about we just give, you know, listeners a bit of a refresh on who we are. My name's Arjun, and uh, I also run alongside The Property Nerds, a buyer's agency by the name of Investikit. Helping residential and commercial property investors grow their portfolio. We've got Kent here, the co-host of the Property Nerds. Do you want to give everyone a bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, um, I'm running a, a business called Suburb Trends. So I do lots of things with data when it comes to property, and I've just launched a new map. So if anyone wants to have a look, go and have a look at my heat map. There's 11 different heat maps to describe the property market.
1: And uh, heat maps, data—you know—looking at all that, we love that, don't we, Kent? Hence the name.
0: Yeah. Well, I think for me, adding the data visualizations of things like maps gives you insights that you don't normally get by looking at charts or spreadsheets alone. So you know, I, I love the maps. And I think the other key learning for me is I'm still uncovering stuff every week. There's something on, you know, I say, Hey, Arjun, I've just seen this and wow, I didn't realize this before. And it seems like every time we do a podcast, I've got one of these little anecdotal stories where I can say, Hey, I've just learned something and I wanted to cover that, this podcast, and uh, we've been looking at inventory levels.
1: Inventory levels, and and for those listening in, it's probably one of our favorite metrics to go over, and- um the importance of it is going to be displayed more than ever in this session today. And, and I guess just to recap what inventory is, Kent, do you want to shout out on inventory?
0: Yeah. So it's a hypothetical metric that says if no other property was listed for sale at this particular point in time, how long would it take for every available listing today to clear? for nothing to be available for sale. So typically what we do is we measure the average number of listings and we then compare that to the average monthly sales and express that as a ratio i.e. months of stock. And typically what we've done is we've categorized it anything below 3 is a pretty strong market then we go up you know 3 to 5 5 to 7 7 to 9 and over 9 over 9 being a pretty cool or cold market. And across the board in Australia at the moment, most most markets are hot. And probably the second thing I wanted to cover off here is what do we define as a market? And I don't like to look at a suburb in most cases. I don't like to define a suburb as a market. It's just too small. There's not enough sales and the metrics misbehave. So we aggregate them by an area called a statistical area three. So the Australian Bureau of Statistics, I'll just call it an ABS. The ABS have aggregated and created something called a statistical area three. In some cases, it aligns pretty neatly your local government areas, but in other cases it's subdivided. And uh, Brisbane's a great example. We like to talk about that. It's a monster-sized LGA. So's the Gold Coast. So by then going to the SA threes, you're carving the market up into a really nice size where the numbers make sense. And why we keep talking about
1: inventory and the SA three is because, you know, like you said, Ken, it's actually one of the few measures or only measures that puts together demand and supply. And we always talk about, yeah, you know, properties a demand and supply thing, but very rarely do people piece that together. We talk listings or we talk how fast something sold or the sales occurring. So why we continue to rave on inventory is because it has that impact of showing you both the level of listings combined with sales. It then has a very clear effect on the days on market, you know, how fast something sells and the speed or trend change in it. And as we know, we've seen how it can impact prices. I was talking to you earlier today and we were talking about the impact on prices specifically. And don't you just love it when the picture we were talking about starts to come together with the low inventory markets and seeing that
0: price growth that occurs following? It does. So obviously we've seen a few scenarios where There's a number of markets that have been at a very, very low inventory level for a number of months now. So it might be, you know, one to two or one and a half. But generally what I'm finding is there's a a whole category of markets that once they get below three months of inventory, you don't really worry if it's jumping up or down or up or down a little bit month to month to month. So typically what I've found is that the longer it stays below three months, how many months it stays below that three month of inventory level is the big determinant in price rise. So that's the big driver. So how long is it a strong seller's market is the thing that drives the price growth.
1: And what was really interesting to see, so I've got this table up in front of me, we categorize the markets from a under three, three to 4.99 months of inventory, five to 6.99, seven to 8.999 and above, like you pointed out earlier. And how we used to label this in the past, Kent, is the under three was a high pressure market. Mm -hmm. The three to 4.9 was modest pressure and the five to 6.9 was balanced. And sort of when you got over that seven and nine, we saw that kind of a little bit more of that buyer's market. But what was really great to see was that growth that we saw in the under three, the under three months of inventory you know, over the last twelve months, their price change a whopping eighteen percent average of price growth in On under three months.
0: Yeah, isn't that huge? It is. It's quite significant. And what it's also done is it's reinforced these categories because the next one down is obviously the uh, you know three to five months, and that was fourteen percent growth. So
1: anyone you know looking at these metrics, the importance of it is risk reduction, right? Because if you are buying in areas of pressure these metrics are showing us that price growth can happen even more so in areas of low inventory, hence the higher pressure. But what was interesting was what we learned about the other side of the inventory.
0: Yeah. What I expected going in was that the high inventory level markets, just taking a snapshot of where is the inventory level today, I was expecting those to show up a lot more zero or potentially negative growth. And what I found was that the nine and above still had growth. On average, it had a 4% growth. And when you zoom out and try and find out, well, what's going on here? The key was they were trending down. So they might have been nine months or more of inventory today, but what were they six months ago? What were they 12 months ago? And what I found was that it was a whole different relationship with the data saying if the inventory level was trending down, even though they still might be classified as a buyer's market or a strong buyer's market today, just by virtue of that trending down is having a positive upward impact on prices. See, that's such a good
1: call out because I was with you in the same boat thinking, hey, higher inventory equals negative results. And what we found is that nine and above still had 4% of growth over the last 12, 7 to 8.99 still had 8%. Now, how much do we attribute this to what's happening now on a national landscape. Because looking at Australia, I was having a look at some of our SA3 regions, and I found that only 4.2% of all of Australia's SA3 regions were declining over the last 12 months, which is a very small number. So how much do we think we put it down to the times that we're in with this
0: national boom that's underway? I'll classify them. I've got them analyzed and grouped by 20% or more, 10 to 20%. This is in terms of median price growth over the last 12 months by SA3. And then I've got the 5 to 10%, and then the rest. And 60 markets were 20% or more. So very, very high growth. The bulk of them sat between 10% and 20%. There's 146 markets. Now, what we are talking about here is housing. We're not talking about units at the moment. And 71. Increase between five percent and ten percent, so I narrowed that bucket up. Only yeah, only ten that I had identified had fallen. Most of those were outback or rural locations, and a handful of anomaly markets where you know, they're heterogeneous, they're oddballs, and they might be near the city, but there's a lot of different stock out there. And you know, this time a year ago, you might have had a flurry of developer sales, you know, very high price properties, and then suddenly you don't. Is that market falling? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a case; it's a, an oddball and very hard to measure. And you know
1: what I found, Ken, is that whilst we're in this national property boom, it also shows that by the classification of inventory and how clearly we could see the eighteen percent of growth in under three and fourteen and three to five and the nine eight four in these different categories, it also shows that whilst this national boom is occurring, not every location is growing the same. And what it shows to me is that it's very easy in a time like this for someone to go, hold on a minute, national boom, media says boom, buy in my backyard. And this is where mistakes can start to come up because what we found was interesting of the low inventory, high growth locations, it really felt like a list dominated by some of our most premium markets. And it feels like we really are truly starting at the top here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So- You know, it's the usual suspects your Sutherland, your Warringah. I mean, we we spoke about Sutherland as one of our favorite spots several months ago, and that's been booming and that still remains one of my favorite spots. But yeah, a lot of these are your typical premium locations in and around the capital cities.
1: Now, just for those who did grab a copy of our top 20 regions report earlier this year in January, you know, we're going to spoil a little bit of fun, but we've got Sutherland. Tugranong, Belkanen, three of which were in our featuring top 20 report, and uh, they also happen to be in a, in a top 10 of national performance. I'm pretty pleased about that, Kev.
0: Well, I think it goes to the point that historically, a lot of the media publications, the tables that you would read in the back of the magazines, the now defunct print magazines, always spoke about median price growth. So it's very much a rear view mirror look whereas when we zoom out and we look at the two key leading indicators of inventory levels and vacancy rates we're starting to kind of get out of the rearview mirror and look further and forward down the road so i think that's an interesting thing and you know the demise of a lot of those magazines is interesting because I do still think that people want to see those tables. They long to look at their own suburb and look at you know the properties that they might already have as an investor. So I certainly think that there's a demand for those tables, which is a segue, a deliberate segue <laughs> to talk about what we're about to offer.
1: Well, Kent, I've got some exciting news and to everyone tuning in, we have decided to put out a free report that really goes into- All of these data points that have helped uncover and show that capital growth does exist in those low inventory high pressure markets. So if you have a property in a particular suburb or you're interested in seeing what the trend of inventory days on markets are in a particular suburb, jump onto thepropertynerds.com.au. On our homepage, we've got a free market conditions index report. And so Kent and I have brainstormed the trending inventory changes, days on market, the typical yield in a suburb, the vacancy rate, and how they come together to create what I feel are the most important pieces of data to have a performing investment property. It comes down to, is there a strong relative demand and supply? Are places selling faster? What typical return you're going to get on your investment? And is it easy to find a tenant? And we answer those four questions on any of the suburbs in the country where you can search it in this index report for free. It's interactive. You can have a play around. And again, just to grab a copy of that, jump onto thepropertynerds.com.au. It is on our homepage and you can get that for free. Kent, with regards to the inventory and the changes we've seen, I think it's worth also me throwing out some notable mentions to a few other pockets across the country. Tassie just finds a way to keep on going. It's remarkable because you know, just earlier today, we were talking about cycles, and Tasmania is a perfect example that you can almost throw market cycles out the window. Parts of Hobart's northwest has had inventory at 1.77, and the last 12 months' price growth of 11.1% in that SA3. Bernie Ulverstone, so um, you know, 2.17 months of inventory. And had 12.9% of capital growth over the last 12 months as an SA3. So Tassie, you know, you continue to shine, you continue to show some strength in some of the markets. But we also found a bit of a data anomaly on the flip side of Tassie, where we, you know, looked at some parts of, you know, Hobart's Northeast versus the Northwest. And we found that even though it had low inventory... It didn't
0: quite take off as much from its price change, did it? And that's one of those anomaly markets. I think uh, you know, we need to zoom out and understand that by looking at what's selling and what sold a while ago, sometimes they don't make sense. And I'd put the Northeast in that category.
1: And this makes it so important to go, look, whilst I've now got my data, if you've been in our index report, you can go in and go, okay, I feel good about a few suburbs, but let me start checking some of the properties. How much did this sell for a few years ago? How much is it reselling for now? And that change starting to occur is where you connect the dots. And this is what we call combining the human touch
0: with our data. And I think if you look at the data hub on the Property Nerd site, we've got the price segmentations for each suburb there. So if you enter in and do a quick search on the region, and then look at the price segments, that's a great way to understand if the suburb is going to behave and if the metrics are going to behave through time.
1: Now, to give some love to a few more regions here, just a quick shout out, we've got the Mornington Peninsula, which again, phenomenal sea change market. Amongst all the lockdowns Victoria has gone through, it still has an inventory of 1.81 months. And over the last 12 months, we've seen 11.8% median price growth for the SA3 other pockets going across the country, but doing a bit of a tour now, aren't we Kent? Uh, Noosa. Noosa, Noosa, Noosa? Noosa? Noosa?
0: Noosa's been strong for a long time, <laughs> but I mean, th- I go down to Frankston, you know, the Mornington Peninsula and everything south of Frankston's just been so strong for the whole Huge. Year. I mean, the vacancy rates
1: have been another success story for that market, but you know, Noosa here, 2.49 months of inventory, 13.9% of last 12 month growth. If we take a tour down to Brizzy, the Hills District, you know the Fernies, the Aranas, you know the inauguras, you know one point eight four months of inventory up eleven point five percent. And if I just give a last couple of shout outs, we had the Sunshine Coast, Budrum, at two point zero eight months of inventory and eight point three percent of growth. So it's really all over. even if you go over to parts of Adelaide, you've got close to ten percent growth, but you know, low inventory. So, I feel really good about the session, Kent, because we've shared two learnings. One is the sub three months of inventory and how strong price growth can be. And then number two is when inventory trends, we can still see that growth occur. Although it may be at a high level, that trending down can help people get that early shoot of growth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key is though, once you get below that three or four month mark, don't worry too much about is it still trending up or down? Wait till it moves well and truly outside of that bracket, because you know a lot of these markets are fairly thinly traded, and there's not a lot of not a lot of listings in a lot of these markets. So we are going to see some volatility in the uh, the months of inventory, based on the fact that there's not a lot of stuff to buy. Ken, this
1: trend here is something very important because it's making a big difference on something you and I talked about, and this is um. Price estimation tools. Yeah. Because buyers are out there, you know, perhaps don't have all the time in the day to do all the comparable research, and they're using, you know, all the different tools that exist for automated valuations, trying to figure out where we should land, how we should go for this. And the disparity in today's market is the biggest I've seen. Constantly, you know, seeing properties in Coffs Harbor as an example. Just the other day, I was looking at evaluations of the low to mid sixes for some places and almost all of them were selling in the sevens. What do we find is going on here, this big disconnect?
0: Yeah, there's certainly a lag. I use my own property and the property next door and certainly a lot of the automated valuation models, I'll just call them AVMs, are lagging. But they're lagging by a large margin, uh, and I've never seen it lagging like this. So they're they're not keeping up with the indexation. Now, let's just talk about how some of them work. Not all of them, because I don't know what's behind the covers. But typically, the way they would work is, you know, the first option would be, is there a last sale for this property in the last five or so years? They'll just index that. They'll just take what it sold for and index it forward. So obviously, if your index is lagging, and not keeping up, it could easily be 10% out. So that's probably the first one. That's the most easy model. But then you've got the other model that would typically try and emulate how a valuer would work and pull in comparable sales. Now, if it's pulling in comparable sales that are three months or older and not indexing them accordingly and not keeping up, then again, it will be 10% or more out based on some of the market movements we're seeing today, if the index is not up to date or accurate. And uh, first home buyers, we're feeling few here because with
1: these changes that are occurring and the tools that you talk about, Ken, and the indexation that's just not catching up, I think more than ever, we've really got to either dig extremely deep into the markets or work with professionals. And the key here is that That last one to three month comparable sales has been the most important piece of finding a property today because anything beyond three months, the data's changed too quickly.
0: Yeah. And look, I think the Americans do this rather well. They call it a grid adjustment. So their appraisers uh, do a couple of things. They will make an adjustment based on an index movement on a comparable sale. And that's the norm. So they'll adjust it. The second thing they'll do is a size-based adjustment as part of this grid adjustment. So if it's a one-bedroom larger or one-bedroom smaller, there will be a coefficient-based adjustment. So in the in the end, you end up with a price of a comparable sale that is adjusted. Now, it's the same way as the automated valuation models work, but the downfall of the way appraisals are done, whether they be a comparative market analysis done by an agent or a valuer doing you're know, pulling in comps, if they're not making those adjustments, you will find the problems that we're seeing today, which is underquoting, underpricing, missing the mark. And I don't think that there's any conspiracy here to underquote for many, many cases. Some maybe. But I think by and large, if the market's rapidly moving like this, you need to make the adjustment. You even need to maybe get ahead of the pack and do some forecasting to say, hey, this property's listed now. What's it going to sell for? What's it likely to sell for? This property's just settled. By the time all that data flows through three months later, it could be a few percent higher. Mm. So you need to be indexing in these high growth in markets that are very, very low inventory, very high upward pressure in price. You probably need to be indexing within weeks, not months.
1: And we're not talking small gains here because with only 4.2% of SA3s declining, there's a chance that when we talk about the ranges of 2.5% equaling a 25 plus percent growth, we're seeing anywhere between 1% to 3% of growth in a month. Yes. And so this now means that, you know, in a typical $500,000 property, five dollars to $20,000 could be the change in that last month's comparable. And it just makes it more important than ever to kind of take that picture back and go the trend of inventory within this market, where it sits today that pressure, combine it with sales in and around me and more than ever, the recency of sales with that indexation that we're talking about. So buyers, I, I hope you're really tuning into this one because we want to save you time and we want to save you lost efforts, lost due diligence money and really help you take this data and combine it with the you know reality of comparable sales and what's happening on the ground. And most importantly, recency, indexing, To get that result, so you're not constantly using your weekends and burning them.
0: And uh, look, both of us are doing a lot of posts on this stuff on social media. So, you know, maybe it's a good example to actually call out and say, hey, why don't you follow us? So, if, if you're out there and you're tuned into the podcast and like some of this content, I'm constantly pushing content out like this on LinkedIn. I'm not much of a Facebook fan, but on LinkedIn. So you can find me, Kent Lardner, on LinkedIn. Follow me or connect with me, and you'll see a lot of regular posts on these topics. Arjun, I know you use both Facebook and LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, so if you want to see uh, all biz, get on the LinkedIn and, and search me up, Arjun Paliwal, A-R-J-U-N. And uh, Paliwal, you know, often uh, the funny thing with my last name is if I if I don't spell it, I often get confused with the Pokemon. You had a Polywheel? Polywork? Oh, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> taking it way back now. So, uh, it's P-A-L-I-W-A-L. So, no, not the Pokemon last name. But um, what I wanted to call out is, uh, yeah, LinkedIn, jump on that. Follow me, some of the posts I've got. But if you'd like to see my new Bolzen Dynamo scooter,
0: oh, I follow that. me on Facebook. I it saw. is a
1: machine. I'm posting all this stuff about... How I get to A to B in my scooter, and you know, jump on. Add as a friend. I won't decline. We'll, we'll catch up.
0: <laughs> you can't take that on the freeway up to Newcastle, can you?
1: If the speed limit is removed, I can. Okay, but uh, I, I probably it's better to stay safe, to be honest. So yeah, it's my my new adventures on the scooters. Everyone, I've just been enjoying the breeze, enjoying the tunes, and not feeling like to be
0: stuck in Sydney traffic. So it's pretty cool. So um, we've got the LinkedIn, we've got the Facebook, and we've got the website. The website thepropertynerds.com.au, our first report, our new report that replaces the magazines. Remember the data tables at the back that covered median prices. Well, we've gone one better than that. We're obviously covering inventory, vacancy rates and trends. Have a look at that. Our first issue is available for free. Propertynerds.com.au. Check it out. Thanks again,
1: over.